Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir. PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 38 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the New York Mets season is underway as Joe and I sit here. Uh, we're watching the doubleheader right now. So it's funny. This is the first time we've ever done a That's So Mets pod, I think, while the team is playing. I might be wrong on that, but at least for this season, it definitely is. An interesting start to the season as the Mets have not played a lot of baseball, honestly, whether it was the uh, postponement of the opening series due to COVID, you know, COVID with the Nationals or the many, many days of rain that affected the Marlins series and now the Phillies series. There's been a little bit of an odd start for the Mets and there's been some good, there's been some bad. I think overall, nothing to panic or overreact to. So we're going to get through a lot of the current stuff today, and we have some really, really good questions from everyone that we're excited to answer. Some on the minor leagues, the draft, the bullpen, some acquisitions, all that great stuff that we always talk about on the show. So, Joe, we have Mets baseball, not enough of it yet, but we're underway. How are we doing? We're doing all right, but nothing to overreact to. Are you on Mets Twitter? I don't know. I, as far I, as I'm concerned, the, the, around it. The, the Mets might be 0-15, I think, at this point, give or take, based on how the, the fan reactions have been. But it's just weird. Like, last week, we are like, can't wait for next week when we talk about a full week of Mets baseball. And they've literally played, like, three or four games since then. Because we basically just recapped opening day. And we're right now playing the sixth game. So, yeah. They basically haven't played baseball. So, are there... A ton of takeaways since then. A couple that, you know, we'll certainly get into. But, man, we just we just got to get some help from Mother Nature. And they're talking on Friday. So the Mets are in Colorado this weekend. There might be snow Friday night in Colorado. Oh, my God. It's might, I mean, it's really nuts to think about that. It you, you, you do get some rainouts and things like that early in the season. It does happen. But it just feels like this year it's... It's more than in years past. Well, the issue is, too, is that you lose an entire series right out of the gate that was not to do with rain on top of the rain. So now you're getting, you know, you're missing as much games as you really ever see teams do, it feels like. And on top of that, there's something I want to ask you, but it makes me wonder, 
it's just hard for guys to get in a rhythm right now in whether and it's really notably probably affecting uh, the hitters and I'm not trying to make an excuse for a slow offensive start for the team because as a team they have not been hitting they've been getting on base but they haven't been hitting and they haven't had a lot of big hits at all and while the pitching overall has actually looked really good the starting pitching not as much the bullpen the starting pitching it just feels like the the everyday players have not been able to get into a rhythm. Do you think that is a a valid excuse here right now for the Mets, Joe? I mean, it, it is tough to not be in a rhythm, and baseball is an everyday thing. And, you know, you wake up, you have a bad day, the next day you could just get out of it. So it's tough when you're getting all these st- starts and stops and you know, the, the rotation's been kind of jumbled a bit, obviously, because of these days off. But yeah, no, I agree with you that it's it's very difficult for these hitters to get any sense of a rhythm. But hopefully we're going to get into a string here where we consistently play baseball games because this offense is too damn talented to be struggling to get runs in like they have through the first five games. It's just they're getting on base, like you said. They're getting runners in scoring position. So they're doing half the battle. You just got to drive in that guy with with the runners in scoring position. So to me, I think it's just they have to get going. And once they do, I think this offense is going to put up put up a ton of runs. So I'm, I'm not worried about the offense overall yet. Just they got to get going when they get these guys on second. Like, I mean, right now, just for live, it's bottom of the second. Mets are up 2-1. Guy on second, two outs. Nimmo's up. Like, you have to come through in spots like this, especially with one out. But even with two outs, like, when you have runners in scoring position, you can't bat as poorly as as the Mets have through five games and expect to win a lot of baseball games. So you have to find that balance there. Well, I think what's been frustrating for me is that, sure, you do need to get – you do need to knock guys in – that are in scoring position when there's two outs. You got to get those hits. Not all the time. You're not going to succeed at it all the time. But the problem with the Mets so far, and once again, it's a handful of games, it's, is that they have not been able to get guys in from third base with less than two outs. That is, so it, that is something to me that is a significant issue. And I know a bulk of it has been on Michael Conforto, who's had a slow start and. You know, I'm I'm not a fan of of people just booing uh, players that early, but it is what it is. It's your right when you're there. You could boo if you want. It's just not something that I personally believe in. But it's been very frustrating, and I think, you know, I didn't agree in the first place with McNeil batting so low in the lineup. But I, it is nice to see Rojas early on saying, "Okay, we're getting guys on pace." Nimmo gets on Nimmo probably accounts for like 30% of the team's on-base production right now. So Nimmo is getting on ahead of Conforto. Uh, Lindor hasn't been hitting, but Lindor is getting on base. And that means Conforto has guys on all the time. So what was number 1, what did you make of McNeil originally batting so low and and two just what were your thoughts on that? You know, hey, we got to we got to drop Conforto back. We're getting McNeil up, but we're going to put Dom in the three-hole and, and just try something different right now. I truly didn't think it was as big a deal as Twitter maybe made it out to be. This team has so many talented offensive players. You're you're going to have a good player batting down in the 6-7 spot. That's just the nature of the beast, uh, especially when you're playing all of your regulars. And 
you know, it, it, it's a flexible thing. Like you said, Rojas, you know, he dropped Conforto to six today. He moved McNeil up. And there should not be a set lineup. That should not exist to me. You should be playing streaks, matchups every day. Like, I don't believe in a consistent, you know, generally you want to keep people in the, you know, same area of the orders for, you know, their comfort. But generally speaking, like, I don't want to wake up and feel like I the lineup is what it is. You should be switching it up. So I didn't I didn't really find the batting order to be as big of a deal personally, but I know that a lot of people were pissed off about it. And, you know, Lindor, he's going to hit. Conforto, he's going to hit. So, like, the guys that are struggling are guys that we know we, we really know are going to hit. So I, I tend to not go so crazy about, you know, the, the early lack of production. But I agree with you. When you have a runner on third, less than two outs, you have to get that guy in, no excuse. That's that's just the deal. You have to do it. And they're not doing that. They're not getting guys in from anywhere. And I don't know if it means these hitters have to get a little more aggressive with runners in scoring position and worry less about working counts and, and things like that because you may only get one good pitch to hit. So if you get it, you have to attack it. So they have to they have to get more aggressive, I think, with runners with runners on base and runners in scoring position. And I think that'll get you out of the funk. But if you just sit there and you're trying to work a five, six, seven pitch at bat, then, you know, you're more prone to strike out. You're more prone to get into a two, two or three, two count where now with a full count in your head, it's like, I have to get this run in now it's three, two, I have to get them in. So now you might be more prone to chase something or yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough mental game. It's really what it is, but yeah, they have to they have to figure out runners in scoring position because once they do, like I said, this team is going to score a ton of runs and the starting pitching's been strong. The bullpen has a couple bright spots, couple not so bright spots and they have to tough it out. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about that is that you know, the bullpen's going to be something that's interesting waiting on Lugo to come back, waiting on to see if anyone can break out, I'm not worried about Trevor May. Like every everybody really hit the panic button on Trevor May right away, which I just thought was was nuts. I'm, you know, not. I know people are. I'm not going to get into Diaz today. I just am not going to do it. I, once again, Lugo, May, Diaz, all completely adequate relievers um, that are going to be in high leverage spots. But somebody else besides those guys needs to make an impact like you just obviously you can't put Batanzas on the mound anymore and they know that with the the whatever the shoulder injury that they're claiming and if it's real it's real I don't mean to like talk down to injuries but it's just it doesn't matter what the injury is but Batanzas can't be on a major league mound anymore Familia like Joe always says you really never know where the ball's going so he can pitch (laughs) he can give you innings but it's just that he's not going to be a high leverage guy to hold leads. So it's interesting. And I, I kind of, I said, I'm going to throw questions in the show uh, throughout rather than just dumping them all out on, at the end of the show. Cause I think these have been really good and, and went with the rundown that, that Joe and I wanted to use. Anyway, this one is from uh, Ben Altman. Any word on a Viscaiano, who is somebody that is at the Mets alternate site right now has had a lot of big league success, but the book on Viscaiano is, you know, can he ever stay healthy? So, uh, Joe, do you envision a role for him in this bullpen eventually? And 
and maybe when and and is he somebody that can be used in maybe even seventh inning situations and I left out Miguel Castro who uh the the results the returns the early returns have been really promising on him as well yeah I was gonna bring up Castro because he looks electric he as long as he can locate that fastball Miguel Castro is going to be more than fine and and he brought a change up in this year that he really wasn't throwing last year which has been a real weapon for him so Castro Castro is really exciting me for sure but then with Viscaino um, I know he had some arm arm soreness in the in the latter part of spring training, so he didn't make the team. Uh, but he's throwing at the alternate site, and I totally envision Erodis Viscaino pitching for the Mets at some point this year, whether that's high leverage, mid innings. You know, the the bullpen we see today, a lot of those guys will end up, you know, not pitching on in the bullpen all year. So I think Viscaino will at some point get his shot, and, and I know in spring he was up to ninety eight. So. The velocity is still there, despite the shoulder surgery that he had. His breaking stuff still looks pretty good. So I think Vizcaino is definitely a sleeper that's hanging out over at the the alternate site for you know when the right time comes because you know he's a minor league deal. So when you do bring him up, it'll require someone to be dropped off the forty man roster. So it's not as easy as just call him up. You now have to you know designate someone for assignment. So. They'll have to they'll have to play they'll have to play that right with Viscaino, but I do think he he'll play a role for the Mets in twenty twenty one. I mean, if I'll drive him myself if uh, <laughs> if if that's what it takes. And, and as you were sitting here, you know, Joe and I had this conversation uh, before we started the show because the game was already two innings in. But man, Taiwan Walker's stuff is, you know, I, admittedly I'm not someone that's watched a lot of his career. Because let's be real, like how much Mariners baseball do I watch? How much, you know, when he had that great late season run with the Blue Jays last year, like here and there. But it just, I wanted to transition to talk about the starting rotation because, you know, one good thing about all these games being pushed to August or whenever it's going to be is that you, you have Carrasco on the mend, you have Syndergaard on the mend, you have Lugo on the mend. But sticking with the starters, you know, DeGrom is. I, I, it's really amazing. The man is wine the way he ages. I just, it's perplexing at this point. And, you know, if it, if Taiwan Walker can stay healthy and has this level of stuff, you just have to feel really good about what the starters can give you. Now, you have to hit and you have to have guys that can finish games, but it just goes to show you, like, this is a rotation that should be deep. And you're hoping that when, not Carrasco, because that'll be an easy no-brainer to slot him in, but when Syndergaard is back, that it'll almost be a very difficult decision for the Mets on hand. Yeah, we talked about this rotation all spring. It's going to be a great rotation as long as these guys stay healthy. And, you know, so far, so good. It's still obviously a few games in. And Carrasco's already making progress. He might even end up at the alternate site soon, Louis Rojas said. So he could... uh he could be coming back maybe a little sooner than I expected. It might be, maybe it's more early May than late May. So if we can get through that, that's going to be huge to add him to the rotation. And then Syndergaard's still looking at, you know, an early to mid-June return. And once you cross, once you get there, you cross the bridge. How's David Peterson pitching? And does anyone else get injured? You know, you'll figure all, all those things out. But Walker's someone I definitely want to talk about because... His stuff is up to essentially, you know, he's up to 96, 97 on the fastball. His stuff is 
kind of what it was when he first came up. When he first came up to the big leagues, he was a hard-throwing, right-handed guy that wasn't really a pitcher yet, but had the stuff. And then injuries mounted up, of course, and he's missed a ton of time throughout his career. And he had the Tommy John, came back, you know, in 2020, was strong, looking good, strong. Stuff was so-so, you know, low 90s. And he did go to driveline this offseason and, and do some mechanical adjustments to his stuff. And, you know, if he if he's able to maintain this, you know, mid-90s fastball along with his split change, which is very effective, and his, you know, his curveball, which is very effective, Walker could be absolutely maybe one of the steals of the offseason, not just for the Mets, but in baseball. Because you have to remember, they gave him two years and a player option that ultimately from a luxury tax standpoint, I think it was like three, it comes to three years, $23 million or, or something like that. Nothing for someone like Taiwan Walker. So I, I've been very, I've been very impressed with how he's looked thus far. And he's a guy that historically, he's always outperformed his expected statistics. So his expected ERA, his FIP, things like that, that kind of indicate luck, whether you're lucky or unlucky. He's consistently outperformed that, which would be an implication that he's been lucky. But you can't be lucky forever. You can be lucky for a year. You can be lucky for maybe even a couple of years. But there's a point in time where you say, he is beating the expected statistic system some way or another, and he's just outperforming it. And you have to, you have to just take his real performance for what it is, and less so look at what he quote unquote should be doing. I mean, results are results, right? Like you can absolutely use data to show, you know, outliers or uh, risk assessment where it's like, okay, the, you know, he might have gotten a little help here or. Uh, and you could use it the reverse way, right? There are a lot of players that, you know, it always I always laugh in football. The Patriots have been really good about this in free agency for, for a while now, where they'll find a player that, you know, in the NFL, the common fan might not know the name, and he, he's just been maybe an average starter somewhere in a role that doesn't suit for him, and he's entering his prime, but nobody really cares, and they sign him and give him a little more money, like... Stephon Gilmore was actually one of these guys. He was a really good player before the Patriots, but not not the best or second best corner in football. So it's things like that that you can really assess. Like you want to be able to do that if you're the Mets. You want to be able to assess players that obviously have upside. And I think that's something that goes back to analytics. And it's so interesting with Walker that he is someone that indicates almost the opposite, where people look at it and go, well, we think he's even when healthy, he's going to come back down to earth on the mound. And I mean, knock on wood, but I just, the results are the results at some point, which is really, really interesting. So like I said, I want to keep mixing in questions here and, and we'll take it down to a, a, maybe a not fun topic, but definitely one that should be addressed. This is from Steve Miller, who always sends us really good stuff. He asks, whose slow start is the most concerning, McNeil, Lindor, or Conforto? So I'll say that you know, I, I don't worry about Lindor uh, because he's coming over to a new league and I don't think he's had really bad at-bats, honestly. Like I said, he's getting on, he's not hitting a lot, but he's getting on base a lot. Uh, McNeil has, some of his outs have been really hard hit balls. And I think that for me, this is the no-brainer answer. It's just Conforto because 
you know, and this won't last with Conforto. It's a slow start. It's a rough start. He'll get hot. He's been a streaky player for a lot of his career. And he's been, I think, I believe he's been a slow starter for a decent amount of his career. But it's just the situational baseball that frustrates me. Like, here's my thing. And I hate being the guy that brings it back to, well, if you're going to pay him, but I have to do it. If Conforto is going to be a $30 million a year player, you know, and I'm assuming it's going to be like a a seven-year deal. I mean, obviously, they're going to ask for the moon. And go get it. Do what's right for you. I have no, no qualms with that. If you're going to be a $30 million a year guy, you got to be able to get runners in from third base with less than two outs. Or, like, there's just bad at-bats a lot at this stage in his career. And I'm not out on Conforto. It's it's nothing like that. It's just that this start to me, and it's so early, and I'm not panicking, but it's just been really frustrating to see because he's your three-hitter. He's someone that should be one of the stars of the team. And I, I just think that out of all this, like, I don't have a concern about Lindor or McNeil, but with between the contract and between his streakiness, I have I have to admit, as a Mets fan, I have been disappointed about Conforto's start. I think that's the perfect word to use. I'm not concerned about any of no, these players. No, just disappointed. Yeah, I'm disappointed in the start for Conforto, because ultimately, for the most part, people generally perform to what the back of their baseball card says they're going to. How they get there by hook or crook, if they get there through a slow start and a hot middle and then a so-so end, whatever the case may be. But Conforto's the one that he truly does look lost. Uh, He's not taking the ball the other way, swinging, he's chasing balls, he's swinging and missing a lot. He's not making hard contact. Like Lindor's working good at bats, making some decent contact. He's going to be just fine. He's, He's literally a superstar. He's the lowest concern for sure for me. And a guy like McNeil, I mean, I know that we were just kind of bashing expected statistics and, and things like that, but it's obviously a small sample size. But if you go and look at McNeil's baseball savant page, based on how he's hitting the ball, he's been aggressive, he's hitting the ball hard, like you said, you know, he he's in the 90, 96th percentile in expected WOBA so far, 90% expected batting average, 95th percent percentile expected slugging barreling the ball up at an 84th percentile weight rate so he everything here is hard contact elite 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 hard contact um he's just hitting the ball at people so mcneil's i think mcneil's in for a massive year he's very i'm very very unconcerned with his start uh, at least statistically he had the big home run with the bat flip which was really awesome lindor's a superstar he's going to be more than fine conforto is the one that he looks completely lost. He's got to figure it out. He's a streaky player. You just hope the streak isn't too long. And you hope the contract isn't weighing on him. Because that could happen. I know there, often the thought process is in a walk year people do their best. But there's also the other side of the coin where people stress out over the contract and think about it while they're batting. It's like, I need to perform to get that contract. And you hope that's not happening with Conforto. It's five games, or we're five and a half games in now, so I'm not jumping off the bridge yet. But, yeah, he he definitely looks the most lost on the team. Yeah, I mean, it's just being fair. You know, answering the question out of those three, I just don't think it's been close at all. And and I guess if you open it up to the entire team, some people are like, oh, well, Peterson's start might have been disappointing. But, like, even Peterson, like, 
settled in a little bit. And it, it was a rough start, but he's a young, a really young starter. I mean, he you know, wasn't even expected to contribute last year. So you look at it like that. It's just, it's a scenario where, you know, you, you just have certain expectations for Conforto and you really hope that uh, he meets them. So, you know, another question in here that was really interesting because I, I just wanted your take on it, Joe. I, I really don't, I don't even have a take on it, but every time I, you know, click on a Mets tweet, whether it's from the beat writers or from the team, I see a conversation around this all the time. And this is from Penny, who's asking, who actually makes the lineups? So it's, I know we would like to imagine that it's Luis Rojas sits down at his desk, takes out a notebook, pen and paper and goes, all right, let's figure out today's lineup. And there's people that think that he shows up to the office and there's a lineup on his desk and all he has to do is hand it in. And I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think it is a collaborative effort between the front office and the manager. And frankly, that's the way baseball is. And we could hate it, love it, doesn't matter. That's where the game is. That's where the game is heading. It is, everything's collaborative now. You work together, the old idea of a manager going with his gut when he wakes up on a Tuesday saying, I need to play this guy today. That doesn't happen anymore. It's now, okay, we're going to quantify why we're doing a lineup a certain way. And we may disagree with their reasons, but there's always going to be a reason. And, you know, lefty righty thing. I know a lot of people complaining on Twitter that they don't care about lefty righty. Well, teams do. doesn't matter if you care. <laughs> um, but they care about lefty-righty because especially now with the three-batter minimum, you don't want to lump guys together the same handedness. So it, it all plays into it. But from my perspective and from the knowledge that I do have, at least the way it's been, um, is that it's a collaborative effort between the manager and the front office. And the analytics staff is a big thing too. You know, Is there a guy that throws a high percentage of curveballs on the mound? All right, who's our best curveball hitter? All right, let's jump him up in the order a little bit. Just things like that, that I think it's more than meets the eye. And I think a lot of people think of lineup construction as simple, and it's become maybe a little more convoluted at this point in time. And that's how it should be, right? It should be because a lot of people sit there and be like, well, the manager of the team should make the lineup. And I don't. I'm not going to sit here and, and say that Louis Rojas has the time to dive into those numbers like a designated analytics team does. Like, the guy has to manage a team. He has to be out there for everything. He has a lot of other pressing issues. If I, At least I'm putting on my manager hat and sitting there. I would want all of the numbers, and I would want them broken down in a format for me that is not where I have to sift through things. I would want to know who's is... The guy on the mound, what pitch is he throwing most? What? Who are hitters that excel against that type of pitch, against righties or lefties? Like, So I do think... Now, Joe and I obviously don't know the specifics of who holds the most weight in this process. Is it Rojas? Is it Alderson? Is it the analytics team? Is it... You know what I mean? Like, we don't know that. But going in with the right assumption that it's a even a spread out even process, that's okay. That's that's the right way it should be. I also, it is funny. I, you know, it's so funny that the thing to do is to complain about the lineup whenever it's posted. 
And I thought it was like a big Mets tradition. And then one of my friends is a Yankees fan. Uh, many friends are Yankees fans. But one I saw on uh, Twitter today was complaining about, like, tweeting over the Yankees lineup. <laughs> and just like, I don't understand why, you know, Frazier never hits over Hicks. And I'm just like, man, I'm glad to know that it's everyone that hates their own team's lineups. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's definitely for everybody. I mean, we don't know fans of every team, so I'm. I'm sure if we just go look up the Brewers tweet tonight, I'm gonna or do whatever, it right now. Yeah, look up the Brewers, see if they have their lineup posted, and look at some of the responses, and let's see if uh, there's people complaining about the lineup. But ultimately, for me, I, I'd be a little more concerned about who's in the lineup versus the order per se. Like to me maybe I'm being simplistic or whatever. Like I don't six and seven to me is really not a big difference. Like if McNeil's hitting six or hitting seventh, chances are that's not going to be the difference as to whether the Mets lose or win the baseball game. So that kind of stuff, it doesn't get to me. Uh, I understand. And a thing that people need to understand too is we've talked about how highly we think of this bench with, you know, Jonathan VR, Kevin Pillar, Guillaume, all these guys. If you want those guys to be effective, they need to play. I know you want, you know, the regular starters in there every day, but one, they need rest. And two, if you don't play these reserve players, they're going to be ineffective when you need them. And, it, you know, having these guys pinch hit a couple times a week is not enough work. So they have to play, like it or not. The VRs are going to get in the lineup. The Pilars are going to get in the lineup. And that means someone has to sit. And, you know, maybe Conforto sits a day soon to, you know, clear his head. Then you throw Pilar in right field or whatever the case may be. These guys got to play. If they don't play, they're going to be ineffective. And you're not, you're not using your roster right. It's not MLB the show. It's real life. These guys need, they need game action to be at their best. You know, in MLB The Show, I set the same lineup every single day, every single game that I play. And until someone's, you know, really tired and then I throw someone in and he's fine. <laughs> uh, it's it's different in real life where these these guys need repetition. That's that's just part of the deal. So the Brewers hadn't posted their lineup yet. So I picked I picked a random team. I looked at my fantasy lineup and I was like, who's playing early today that will have a lineup up? And the Padres. I swear, the first team I picked was the Padres. I scrolled down past like maybe four tweets. Really, Fam and Capizano again, and then the and then the guy gives his own personal lineup. Then three tweets after that, kind of boils down to Fam versus Kim. Which fringe bat would you rather give the start to? Tweet after that, Fam needs to ride the pine a little. It, it just, <laughs> it's just the Does, best, man. Everyone like, just hates their team. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It's every yeah. single I can go do. Th I guarantee I can check every MLB lineup tweet for every team this week, and f I, I really enjoy it actually. Like I think it's gonna be my thing now. When I need a laugh, I do this. Um, speaking of teams tweeting, like something that gives me a quick high is when the Mets win, and then I go to whoever they beat the team's tweet, and it, it's hilarious. Like the memes. And the ruthlessness by the Mets fans, and all sports fans do this, but I've noticed the Mets fans are like one of the more active fan bases, it feels like, in baseball on Twitter. 
Maybe I'm just saying that because I am one, but I, I don't know. The response rate is wild. Like if you, if you're listening to this show and we're recording it during the doubleheader, so I have no idea if the Mets will win a game. But if they do win one of these games, just do yourself a favor and go to the Phillies Twitter account and look for the tweet posting the final of the game and just read them, and you will. It's about as good as you'll probably feel this week. I'll say that. That's that's great and hilarious and so true. I mean, it's one of those things that I don't take the time to look at, but maybe I should. Maybe that could be a weekly segment or something. Like, let's find out how pissed off everyone else's fan bases are <laughs> because uh, it seems like Mets fans always have a, a major problem with something, and it, it apparently is fans of every team, and we just happen to be in the Mets world, so that's all we see. All right, so we have two more questions left to do on the show, and this one is from Eric Briggs. It is uh, one that I'm actually curious to hear your answer. Can you walk through the new Mets minor league structure in 2021? Yeah, there's just less teams now, and this is a not just the Mets. This is across baseball. They've reduced minor league teams, so you're really just going to have uh, four affiliates. You're going to have, for them, and I'm gonna, I have to... I say this to myself, I'd say at least two times a week to make sure I go through it. St. Lucie is low A now, which is the lowest level for full season ball. Uh, It used to be Columbia. The Columbia Fireflies were the former low A team. That's now St. Lucie. Replacing St. Lucie as the high single A team is Brooklyn, who would previously was you know, short season rookie ball, essentially, like it was mainly college draft picks that that you drafted, signed, and they played. But then you go to double A, that stayed the same Binghamton, and triple A stays the same Syracuse. So you have less teams, you're going to have less baseball. So the draft now, so think about this, the draft is July 11th or 12th, it's during the All-Star break, something like that. So middle of July, rather than the beginning of June, you're going to have weeks to sign the players, so that goes into August. So when someone gets drafted, unless they sign immediately, they probably won't play minor league baseball. Like in years past where there was that you know, four or five week season that they went and got, got some reps. Their first Brooklyn, reps, right? Yeah, Brooklyn if they're a college draft pick or you know if they were a high school kid, they might end up in Kingsport, or which is no longer... And Gulf Coast League, which I believe they are having some semblance of a Gulf Coast League where it's going to be just very limited teams where you're going to be at your facility, but it's not going to be like a full-blown league with a big, long schedule. It's just going to be kind of getting some games in there, which will be for some of the younger, younger players that aren't ready for full season ball. But you're going to see over time, it's not happening immediately, but over time, there's just going to be less players in a minor league system. They're gonna, you're going to see mass cuts as time goes on, and there's just going to be less players, less levels necessarily to go through. And the positive of this is this should help players get paid more money in the minor leagues because they get paid nothing. And I think this is part of the reason that you know minor leaguers are getting a pay bump this year. And I'm excited for a minor league season to start. It starts at the beginning of May. The guys are in St. Lucie right now getting work in. They're doing their minor league spring training. No one seems to really care about it. There's no attention on it, no media there for it. But they're getting ready because uh, once early May comes around, you know, minor league ball is back. Do you ever think it'll revert 
back to the way it was, Joe? Like where there'll be expansions, or do you think baseball prefers it this way? Uh, no, I I think baseball prefers it this way. I think they want le- less players. The draft is going to get shortened. I mean, the draft has been 40 rounds forever. It was 50 rounds, actually, not too long ago. Then they dropped it down to 40, and they did 10 this past year. Or no, five. They did five this past year. Wow, why did I say 10? They did five this past year. It sounds like they're going to do 20 this year. They haven't even made that official yet, how many rounds are in the draft. How crazy is that? Uh, but it's I be- insane. It's going to be 20 is my understanding this year. And I think MLB wants to settle somewhere between 10 and 20, which means a significant less amount of people are going to get drafted. You're going to have less, quote-unquote, diamonds in the rough that you find, you know, if Seth Lugo was trying to enter baseball right now, we would never have heard Seth Lugo's name ever because he was a 34th round pick out of a D2 college and you would have never heard of that guy. So there's pros and cons to it. It, it lessens the amount of people that get into pro ball, but also at the same time, the thought process is uh, pro ball is going to be stronger now. You know, you're going to have the best of the best are going to be entering. It's not just going to be you know, drafting people to – all right, our low A short season team definitely needs a second baseman. So we're just going to draft whatever second baseman that we can in the 23rd round just to fill that spot. Um, Now you're going to be, in theory, drafting the best players that you can and really going for the cream of the crop rather than just organizational bodies. I mean, Mike Piazza, 62nd round pick. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, those guys, those guys you'd never hear of, which, you know, ultimately the amount of Mike Piazza's and Seth Lugo's out there isn't crazy high, but it's always awesome to root for guys like that. It's interesting to me. I I think that it overall is probably better. It just funnels more talent into a more confined way that also obviously they'll get It'll just be better for the minor league system, like the money behind it, the money lifestyle, will be better. quality yeah. of life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, those things really matter. I mean, it, it's crazy the way it was. So I think ultimately it is a good move, but it's it's an interesting one, especially for a guy like you, Joe, that has such a, a, a your finger on the pulse of the minor leagues that it's being condensed at this rate. But I mean, overall, you think it's the right way to go, right? I do. I think it's the right way to go, and I and I think generally players that are in the minor leagues don't have a problem with it. Uh, maybe it's because they're already there, but <laughs> maybe some of the late round picks would have more of an issue. But these guys are like, I want to make as much money as I can, and trust me, even the pay bump is not a lot of money. So they're not still not making nearly enough money. But hopefully, the le- less players, less you know minor league levels will lead to, like you said, better pay better food when they're at the ballparks and you know if that is one thing like I I was asked this just the other a few days ago by someone like if you could talk to Steve Cohen about anything related to your organization what would it be and to me my first thing was treatment of minor league players like the food that I, I mean I would have interviews with guys where they're like I'm, you know, I'd be setting up, getting ready for the interview. They're like, do you mind if I grab food? I'm literally starving. I'm like, yeah, just go grab something quick. It's fine. I'm just hanging out. And they'd come back with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And like, okay. That's insanity. Like, is that, you know, if that's your choice, okay. But eh, it wasn't exactly a choice. So for me, I'd want 
you know, them to stay in better hotels, you know, not crazy five stars or anything like that, but maybe little better, you know, living arrangements during the season, better food, better training, you know, ultimately what you invest into the minor leagues is what you get out in the majors. It's what you, it's what you get out of it. I mean, look at Dom Smith. He had all the problems that he had. They did. They didn't diagnose his sleep apnea. He had eating, you know, issues where he was eating food that wasn't good for his body. If you invested a little more money to just feed these guy be- guys better, you're going to get better athletes out of it. So to me, that's a no brainer. You know, the the pay on the the physical paycheck that's not something Steve Cohen could address. That is a major league across the board thing. So they all make the same money, but Steve Cohen absolutely can control where these guys stay, what they're fed, training, things like that. It's about quality of life. It's about getting the best out of these athletes that you can. And you're investing in analytics at the lower levels. You're investing in all this stuff. Invest in the health and well-being of your players too. I'm on board. I completely agree. And I do think it's something that over time, like in the next two years, I I think it's something that will happen. I think Cohen – you know, I, I'm not going to pretend that I've been in the room with the guy, but I get the sense that he's a good listener, right? Like he, when people suggest things, he's open-minded to them. And I think that, you know, obviously the pockets there, I was laughing at him, like tweeting back at somebody that was asking about putting on a retractable roof on City Field. And he's like, I think it's like 300 mil. And you kind of sit there and you're like, eh, you know, something to think about. But it's just, it, it is, I think it's good to know that, you know, they have the potential to be a, a first class organization and that it's something that should be under consideration because why not? Take it, every competitive advantage you can have, you should you should take advantage of. And the you know, money not being an issue, then go ahead. Take advantage of it. So all right, we had one more question for today's show, and he it's directly at you, Joe. This is from Mark. He says, Hey Joe, have you heard any updates on who we're targeting in the draft? It is a little early, uh, but he says, "Who do you see potentially being available for us at ten? So, Joe, let's get a, let's get a little mini, way too early, MLB draft preview here for the Mets at ten. All right. So, as far as is there any word as to who they're targeting? No. Um, and I'd love to give you names that I know that they've scouted, uh, but I'm not entirely privy to all of that. It's still early in the process. Once things once we get closer, you know, I was telling Connor this off air. I do a oddly terrible job at predicting who the Mets are going to pick, but I can I can get it down to, you know, a final two or three guys and chances are it'll come from that grouping. So when we get closer, I'll absolutely be able to I think give you some more information, but this would be like Connor, if I asked you in October who the Jets are taking at number 2 overall, like you wouldn't know at that point. Like you certainly wouldn't. I, I you probably weren't thinking Zach Wilson if the Jets were picking number two in October. Not um, in October, no. Yeah, and they yeah. were. It was Trevor Lawrence all the way in October. <laughs> it was Trevor Lawrence all the way until week fifteen or sixteen or whatever it was when they when they won. But uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know yet. But if we want to just talk some names that make some sense, uh, I, I feel really bad for Jaden Hill, the right hander from LSU. Uh, unfortunately. Blew out his UCL on ESPN2, starting against Jack Leiter, who might be the number one pick. And 
Jaden Hill was a guy that I squarely had my eyes on as uh, as a target at 10. Now we'll see what his signability looks like. Maybe Jaden Hill is the JT Ginn or Matt Allen of this year where you overpay in the second round or something to to bring him in. But a couple names that I, I'd say to keep an eye on, uh, certainly a guy like Marcel Meyer, a, sh- a high school shortstop who's performed pretty well this year. But for me, I'm looking at the college pitching. That's where my main focus is. Ty Madden from Texas has been fantastic this year. Um, Why am I forgetting his first name? Gunner. Gunner, How did I forget the first name? Gunner. Gunner Hogland. He's been fantastic this year out of uh, Ole Miss. So there's going to be someone very good at number 10. You know, James Wood, another high school player, big, big bat. You know, guys that early on, you know, preseason that I thought about as you know fits at 10 have had brutal starts that you at this point you know unless they rebound you're not even considering them and you know just to keep the names in mind a guy like Adrian Del Castillo catcher from the University of Miami Judd Fabian an outfielder from Florida who has he has all the tools but he just strikes out at way too high of a rate so I think that's going to drop him out so for me I'm, I'm keeping an eye on a couple high school guys a couple college arms but I think if you ask me this question a month from now, I'll have a better answer for you. If you ask me two months from now, I'll have an even better answer for you. So circle back. Uh, we're going to do a ton of draft coverage. I know a- a- as the season progresses, the college and high school season, I'm certainly going to make a big board. Um, maybe SNY will want it. Maybe they won't. But <laughs> if they don't want it, we'll talk about it on the podcast. That's good enough for me. Uh, but yeah, no, we'll we'll be working through the draft. I promise you that you're going to get a ton, ton of draft coverage here. Um, my goal is to have some prospects on, you know, maybe some more from the scouting department. We'll see how, how that kind of goes. But yeah, I, I'm super excited to actually cover the draft in this type of format. Whereas, you know, in, in writing, it's more preview a few guys and then write a recap kind of thing. Now I could talk, you know, long-winded about whoever the heck I want to. Dude, it's going to be great. I can't wait. It's I get to be just a pure fan of the draft. And, um, you know, we will, like you said, it's going to be a lot of lead-up coverage. This show, you know, we've hinted at, at more shows in the future, and especially with summer, just there's more flexibility. There's still be a, this will be a Mets show, and leading up to that draft, this will be a draft show. And there's no reason why there'll be weeks where, you know, you get an extra episode that's an interview, or you get an extra episode reacting to something, or you get your draft coverage, you know, both days, things like that. Joe and I will be all over it. So I am really looking forward to that and, and immersing myself in this year's class. And uh, hopefully the Mets will not be picking this early for a long time as well. So I think that's something to be excited about. But Joe, episode 38, closing thoughts. Just let's let's actually play some Mets baseball. And I want this time next week to build to really talk about like a full slate of games and not just, oh, well, there was a couple games between last week and this week. Like hopefully they get some games in and, and play them through. And hopefully you see some guys turn a corner that had a rough, you know, first week. Yeah, I'm hoping for that too. It'll be fun. It'll be good just to actually get this race going and to go through different scenarios and everything like that. And as always, keep sending your questions uh, to the That's So Mets Twitter it, it's really been easy for us to just go through that and, and curate from there and get them into the show in this format where we could take, instead of two or three at the end, we, we'll work in five throughout. It's been a lot of fun. So 
Um, we're looking forward to, to actually recapping a week full of games next week, and we will catch you next week. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Now you can get McDonald's Crispy Chicken Sandwich. McDonald's Spicy Crispy Chicken Sandwich. And or filet of fish. Any two for just six bucks. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. A single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.